But uh, my name is Gabe Phillips. If we have not met, I'm married to a beautiful na- a lady named Fiona, and uh, we've got two little girl, uh, one little girl called Olivia Grace, and one little boy called Benjamin Asher. Maybe I was prophesying. Who knows? Fiona, if you're listening, triplets right now. No, I'm just, just receive, receive in the mother's room right now. No, but it's really, really good to be with you guys, and um, I get to be a pastor here at Life Changes, and uh, it is one of the, the highest privileges of my life, and I get to preach today, which is my win, hopefully your win as well, but I'm really, really excited, and I really believe this, this word that God has got, given me for you, for us as a community, is so anointed that I needed to get a backing band. Boom. That was your moment to do a bit of a run in Pele. Oh, they turned you off? Why would anyone ever turn Pele off? I mean, it's just... There we go. Wonderful. Another time, another time. Good, good, good. But it's really, really good to have you today. I'm really, really excited to preach. There's a scripture. Have you got it? Ooh, boom, 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 boom. I feel like I'm on Jimmy Fallon with the roots. Anyway, this is for five of you who watch Jimmy Fallon. But anyway, let's carry on. John 10, verse 10. Let's get to the Bible this morning, please. John 10, verse 10 is this incredible scripture that we have been uh, echoing from our pulpit throughout the year and something that God gave us at the beginning of the year. And this is powerful scripture that, that declares this. It says, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. And let's be honest, you don't have to have your master's in theology. You don't have to uh, be a rocket scientist. And as I said earlier, you can even be a Man United supporter. And you can understand what's going on in that first part of the verse. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. It's evidence. You just have to look at the year that is 2020. Look at the political scheme of things. Look at the racial scheme of things. Look at the tensions that are in there. Look at your, your bank balance. Look at your emotional uh, capabilities. Look at your relationships. It feels like the enemy has had a field day. Am I right? Am I the only one? It feels like it's been one hell of a year, if you can excuse the pun. I'm so grateful that that scripture does not end there, though. The enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy, comma. But, but, and like I love to say, that is the most beautiful but I have ever seen. Mm. But, I came that they may have life and life to the full. Jesus declaring that he came that we might have life and life to the full. And there's no asterisks there. There's no parentheses. There's no brackets saying a disclaimer. Life to the full, unless it's 2020 and COVID. Then we're going to ration that thing out. No, no, it doesn't have a, a bracket there saying, disclaimer, not with your past though. Maybe for others, but not for you. Or disclaimer, not for, for your pain, what you've been through. Or disclaimer, not for your sin. That, is just, that one's just too deep. No, 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 no. There's no asterisk. There's no disclaimer. It says, but I came that they may have life and life to the full, full stop. That is the truth of God. And we need to receive it and believe it. And I want to help us do that because I really believe the enemy has been trying to squash the people of God. He's been trying to silence the people of God. He's been trying to settle them down into your space. He's trying to stop them. He's trying to shove them into a small space and say, you are not getting up from there. But Jesus came to lift those lids, to lift those ceilings, to lift those barriers, to lift those, those, those things that have stopped us, that settled us, that have kept us in a small space. And that brings me to the title of my message this morning, is Lift the Lids. So why don't you turn to three people around you? I know we have masks, but look at them in the eye. And into that mask, declare, Lift the Lids. Come on, three people, three people. Find them, look at them. 
If you are single and your eyes met with somebody, just be careful. You never know what's under that mask. Just a joke. Welcome to church. But let's pray this morning. I believe God is really going to do something powerful with us this morning. Father, I thank you for this incredible room of people, your people. You are jealous for them. You love them. And I thank you, Father God, would your word come right now and revive the broken spaces, the dead spaces, the sinful spaces. Would you come in and lift the lids on our life so that the final word does not belong to the enemy, but to our God, who declares you came to bring life and life to the full. Do that in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Three points this morning, three lids that I believe we, that need to be lifted so that we are, are able to move into all that God has for us because these lids will either be our promotion or they'll placate us. And I believe God wants to lift the lids so we're able to move into what He has for us. Lid number one is the lid of expectation. The lid of expectation. 2 Kings chapter 5 is this incredible narrative uh, in the Old Testament about a, a man named Naaman. And he's a, a general in an army and he's a man with authority. When he says, go, they go. When he says, stay, they stay. When he speaks, people obey. And uh, he's got authority. But on the other hand, he's got the skin disease called leprosy. A disease that keeps people at arm's length, that keeps them away potentially from intimacy, keeps them away from having a normal life. A lid, would you say, on his life that kept it at some sort of level because this far but no further with him. But he hears from somebody close to him says, actually, there's a prophet in Samaria named Elisha who I believe would be able to heal you. Well, let's go and see him. So this man gets all excited. He gets the entourage and they head down to Samaria and they arrive at the house of the prophet, Elisha, with much fanfare. Da, 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 I'm here, Naaman, the general. And he arrives and this is what Elisha does. Elisha doesn't even come out to see him, but sends his servants instead. I just love the Old Testament prophets. They got away with a lot. They just could say things and do things. I read them going, what was Elisha doing? Probably finishing a series on Netflix. or I don't know, you know, what they do in those days. But uh, ah, can't be bothered. Sends out the servant. And the servant arrives and the first level comes. This man named Naaman, a general, gets offended. How dare that guy send a servant out to me? How dare he not get out of his room and come and see me himself? Does he not know who I am? Offense expectation gets limited a little bit. The lid gets squashed on a bit and he's like so frustrated. But the servant carries on with what Elisha has told him to say. And the servant says, the prophet has said, if you go down to the river Jordan and immerse yourself in it, in it seven times, you'll come up and your leprosy will be healed. At this, another level of offense because the, the general says, firstly, he doesn't come out to see me. Secondly, he brings me all the way here and tells me I must go into their pitiful river. I come from a place which has mighty rivers if I, why, why would I come and settle and do something so insignificant seemingly here? And he's so offended, he's about to walk away. And one of his servants stops him and says, Naaman, if the prophet Elisha had said to you to do something really hard or complex, you probably would have done it. But because it seems so ordinary and so insignificant, you're not doing it. Why don't we just take a gamble and take him at his word? So Naaman reluctantly says, all right, fine, calls his entourage, let's go down, let's head down to the river, why not? And they get down there and he takes off his shoes and he's feeling a little bit awkward already because, you know, he has lots of jackets on, lots of authority, but he doesn't, people don't know the extent of his leprosy and you can see everyone watching him, what's going on, it's a bizarre scene. And he takes off a jacket, he tells the guys, turn around guys, avert your eyes. Now, 
when I read scripture, I, I read myself into the text sometimes because as a skinny, pale redhead, I know these moments. You know, on the beach when the redhead takes off his shirt. Look away, people. Look away. Ugh. But Naaman does that and he's awkward and he slinks into the water. Look away, man. The guys are sniggering a bit and he gets in and muttering to himself, this is so stupid. I don't know why I've been doing this. Why have I been here? But fine, I'll do it. He takes a deep breath, holds his nose and dunks himself, comes out, hopeful, hey, hey, guys, no boss, no change, nothing, now he's a bit awkward, why am I even doing this, this fine, let's go a second time, nothing, third time, nothing, fourth time, Haley, do you guys do this exercise, this is a really good one, it's working him, Five times, six times he goes down and comes out the water, nothing. And now I can imagine the guys are laughing. He's looking foolish. He's looking even more insecure. He's like, why am I even doing this? This is, this is ridiculous. But there's this incredible line in a song that we sing here at church. It's on Apple Music, on iTunes, on Spotify. Gone, taking the world by storm. It's called Waymaker. And this one line in the bridge says, even when I don't see you, you're working. And the incredible thing is with this narrative, for the first six times he dunks himself, it seems like nothing is happening. There's no shift. There's no change. There's nothing in the circumstances that are changing. And I can imagine for this guy, it feels like his lid of expectations getting lower and lower and lower. And he's like, I'm out. Or that, at least that's what I would do. If I got to the sixth time of doing this and feeling very embarrassed, very exposed, I'm like, guys, let's head back. You know what? I, I just I'll carry, I walk my life with leprosy. I've lived this far with it. I can manage it. But thank goodness Naaman didn't stop at six. Awkwardly, embarrassingly, he went down the seventh time. <gasps> and as he came out the water, the Bible says, as he came out, he was healed of his leprosy. Let me ask you, Life Changes Church, and encourage you. Would we be a people who immerse ourselves in the practices of God, even when it seems like they aren't working? Would we immerse ourselves repeatedly, ongoingly in reading the Word of God even when it feels like nothing is happening? Will we keep immersing ourselves in prayer, in giving, in tithing, in serving, in showing up, in lifting our hands week in and week out, singing the same songs but nothing's happening, singing the same songs but nothing's happening, singing the same songs but nothing's happening. Why? Because actually He says, will you trust my timing? Come on, say to the person you've ignored resolutely, lift the lids. The lid of expectation needs to be lifted in our hearts. Secondly, it's a lid of opposition. Now there's this beautiful story in, in Joshua chapter 6. And for free, Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible. And we find the sixth chapter of the Bible. Joshua, who is the man of God, called to take the people of God into the promised land on the back of 40 years of wandering and walking in the desert. This, the backstory of the nation of Israel up to this point is wandering for 40 years in the desert going around the same mountain, treading the same paths, wearing out the same conversations, just going round and round and round and round. 40 years eating manna and quail, and the only thing that's working is they're getting more steps for their discovery app. 40 years. They get to the transition moment, Joshua chapter 1. A new man, a new season. God says, I'm going to take you into the promised land, Joshua. And he gives Joshua this promise. Everywhere you put your foot, I will give you that land. It's a promise he gives Joshua. Joshua's like, yes, it's going to be different now with us. Things are going to change. And he starts leading the people of God. And they're going towards the promised land. Everywhere we put our foot, come on, follow me. And chapter 6 comes, boom, 
they walk into a fortified city called Jericho, who the Bible says was built to oppose the people of God. And he gets there, bam! And people are going, now what? You told us that everywhere we go, we're going to get that. Now we walk into a place where it seems like there's nowhere else to go. And at that moment, Joshua goes, guys, uh, I'll come back to you. He goes to God, God, what are we going to do, God? You've gave me the promise that everywhere I put my foot, give me that land. So I want this land. I'm going to go there. God, tell me what we're going to do. Oh, give me the secrets. Is it in through the, through the front gate? Do we go around the side? Do we have some secret stash of WMDs that they don't know about? It's weapons of mass destruction. And he's like, tell me, God, give me, give me the way. Give me the miracle. Come on, God. And God says, Joshua, I need you to do some more walking. More walking. We've done 40 years of walking, God. More. He says, yep, Joshua, more. So Joshua comes to the guys. Guys, get those Fitbits ready. Here we go. And day one, he says, for seven days, you're going to walk around this city. You're going to just walk around it one time for every day. And, uh, and as I read this, you know, I start to realize that actually in, in, our, in our Christian walk, we sometimes get suckered in and we, at the first sign of opposition, we think, what has gone wrong? Taken by surprise. When actually, through the reality is that actually opposition is a sign that we are holding onto the promises of God. The greater the intensity of the opposition means the greater the promise He has for you. And I want to encourage you, don't doubt in the dark what He has revealed in the light. So Joshua says, come guys, let's go. And they start walking the first time around. First day one, walk. Nothing. Day two. Nothing. Day three. Nothing. And don't you wish that there would be incremental growth? It's almost like after day, after day four, we look, oh cool, at least one layer down. Good. Like Tetris, a little bit lower. No, there's no incremental uh, win. There was no like little bit, little by little bit. No, no, nothing by the natural eyes. And I can imagine the day five and day six as he's walking around, he's starting to sweat now. And it's not just the midday sun. It's actually the fact that he's got an army of people behind him who are going, he has lost it. He has lost it. He hears the people on the, the side of Jericho, the enemy shouting, weirdos, what are you doing? And he's all I can imagine. He is doing in his head. All, he is now trying to silence all the voices of the enemy of behind him, around him. And all I can imagine Joshua is doing is as he walks around the sixth time, he says, God, you said you would give me everywhere I place my feet. God, you said you would give me everywhere I place my feet. God, you said that you would. Can we be a people who keep encircling the promises of God even when we don't see the result of it? Because on day seven, when the people of God walked around the city of Jericho, and with a mighty shout raised their voices, the city of Jericho came tumbling down. And the people of God ran and routed the enemy and saw the victory. Come on, it's time to lift some lids, Life Changes Church. Lift the lid of expectation, lift the lid of opposition. Thirdly and finally, I want to tell you about the lid of revelation. And uh, the word revelation, if you are unfamiliar with it. It just basically means the, the thing that only God can do. The thing that only God can show. The thing that only God can reveal. Revelation. And we find this passage in Ezekiel 43. And this is not one of Christi Christianity's greatest hits, if I'm being honest, this passage. 
It's not going to be one that you see on a coffee cup or on the back of a taxi. It's an intricate passage. But it's a passage where God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel about the way to build the house of the Lord, the way to build the temple of God. And he's giving him specific instructions on the measuring system of how to do it, how to build something that's not of earth. And in the Bible, you'll see this word that often crops up when they're giving instructions to build things like Noah's Ark or, or different moments, the tabernacle, different moments where it said, this is how you're to build. They'll use this word, the cubit. Now, the cubit, because it was a measuring device for people in, in that day and age, is actually six hand breadths of man. And to measure that, they'll often say, it's from the crook of the arm. Again, this is not as easy as it looks. Look at this. It's from your crook of your arm to the tip of your finger, they said every human has the, the space for six hand breaths. Three, four, five, six. This is, we, you can do it with me. Don't take my word for it. Try it. Try it right now. One, two, three, four, five, six. Plus, minus, it'll be six hand breaths from the crook of your arm to the tip of your finger. And they'll say this because this is the measuring device for people to have measured according to the cubit. And, and this is the incredible thing, that the word to describe this area of the arm, from the, the crook of the arm to the tip of your finger, they would call it the amah, A-M-M-A-H, which means the mother of the arm. Because they said from this place comes creativity, from this place comes production, from this place comes development, from this place comes ingenuity, man's ability to make things happen comes from here. And as I always say, if this was the mother of the arm, this is the daddy of them. That one's for free. I really enjoy that joke. But this is an incredible thing. When we get to Ezekiel 43, when God is saying to Ezekiel, this is how I want you to build my temple, he says this profound thing. He says, I want you to build it with these measurements, a cubit plus a hand's breadth. Basically saying six hand breaths plus one more, the seventh hand. When you build my temple, I don't want it to be to your measurements. I want it to be to mine the seventh hand of God. And when I read this, when I understand this, we realize that actually how often in our lives do we feel like we have done all that we can do? In your business, you have done all you can do. You've gone to the bank, you've gone to this person, you've gone down every lead and you feel like you're just hitting that lid. When your marriage, you've done all that you can do to keep it going, to revive it, to counseling, this, this, this conversation, that. And you feel like you're just hitting a lid, no breakthrough. With your parenting, with your addiction, you've tried and you've tried, you've done this thing and that thing and you don't know, you just keep hitting the lid. John 15 says it this way, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can be creative, you can have significance, but if you want to do something with eternal significance, you can do nothing. You need the seventh hand of God, my hand upon it. And this is so profound when we get to the prophet Elijah, just before Elisha, a man who's been living in a, in a land of, of where there's a city that's been, a, that's, a nation has been led by Jezebel and Ahab, a city, a nation that's been known for its creativity, its prowess, its ability to make things happen in the natural. But they've hit a drought. And they've been able to do much as a nation, but they can't make it rain. That belongs to somebody else. But the prophet Elijah says, watch what my God can do. And he goes on top of Mount Carmel. He gets down on his knees, lays his face down, says, God, would you make it rain? And he says to a servant, would you run outside and tell me if you see any clouds? So the first time the servant runs out, he looks, clear blue sky, not a cloud to be seen. Runs back in, no Elijah, there's no cloud. 
Elijah says, cool. God, make it rain. Second time. Nothing. Third time. Nothing. Fourth time. Nothing. Fifth time. Sixth time, nothing. But on the seventh time, when the servant ran out, he runs back and says, Elijah, on the horizon, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist. The hand of God was spotting something to move. Can I tell you in the Bible, the number six represents the number of man, the number of our ability. But when we get to the number seven, it represents God's completion, God's ability, what He can only do in our lives. And I think actually, I want to say Life Change Church, look again. Maybe you feel that you're at the end and there's no life in your marriage. There's no life in your business. There's no life in your, in your spirituality. Look again. Would you keep pursuing the presence of God even when it feels like there's no movement? And that brings me to the hero of our story named Jesus Christ. And he comes, lives a perfect life, and yet is tried and then crucified at the hands of man. And it feels like our only hope of salvation. The lid has been put on that forever and ever, squashing the life. And I can imagine Satan going, you said that you would come and bring life to life to the full, but look at you. The people you created are crucifying you. And Jesus, as he hangs on the cross, the sin of the world on his shoulders, the breath leaving him, he musters up all the strength he has and he starts to speak one final time. And the first thing he says from the cross is this, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. The second thing he says from the cross, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise to a thief who's on his left. Thirdly, he says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother to Mary and the disciple John. The fourth thing he says from the cross is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fifth thing he said from the cross was, I thirst. And the sixth thing he said was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I can imagine that this, it seemed like the expectation of man had been shattered. It seemed like the opposition had won. It seemed like the revelation of God had gone distant and dim and quiet. And the lid of humanity had been slammed shut. But thank God, Jesus did not stop on six. He said one final thing. The seventh and final saying of Jesus from the cross was this. It is finished. And as, as that to the body was taken down and put in the grave, the enemy rubbed his hands and said, they are done, they are done. But we know the story wasn't finished because our striving was done. Our sin was done. Our past was done. Our brokenness was done. But the new life had just begun. The seventh hand of God was just moving on our behalf. The resurrection power of Jesus was moving right now. And I believe the seventh hand that raised him from the dead is moving in this room moving over expectation and popping up lids, moving over opposition and popping up breakthrough, moving over revelation and bringing freedom.